May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I found this uh, clip on YouTube this week, if you just want to put it up on the screen for just a second. Does anybody know uh, what animal this is that is up on the screen? I know I've... (laughs) Shout it out if you know it. That's the African Impala, the magnificent creature. Not so magnificent camera work right there, but this, uh, this is a picture of the African Impala, and they are sprinting around jumping. Do you see them leaping over that water there? That's not a short distance, by the way. The African Impala has been known, is known, to jump as far as 30 feet and as high as 10 feet. Amazing creatures, if you've seen them as at full sprint. Israel, have you seen them before? <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, they're, they're pretty incredible. He's from Africa. Um, it's an incredible creature, but put the same animal in a zoo with a three-foot wall around it, and it will not jump over that wall. Why? The animal will not jump anywhere that it cannot see where it will land. And when its eyesight is blocked, this incredible creature that can jump huge distances will not move a foot. This morning, we're finishing our series on the Reformation, calling it the three solas, the three uh, hallmarks, so to speak, of what uh, the Reformers at the time of the Lutheran Protestant Reformation in the 16th century said are the hallmarks of the Bible. Faith is the key ingredient, one of three. Scripture is the other, and then grace from God. These three are the hinges on which our faith, uh, in general, the Christian message is all about. And today we look at faith. The Bible describes faith this way. It's being confident in things unseen, right? And Jesus comes in and he says to his own people that the specific faith, in fact, faith in him is the thing that sets you free completely. So why? Why does it feel very often like we are trapped behind a three-foot wall? And why do we continue to go down the same paths of unfaithfulness, the same paths of faithlessness, the same habits of sin that we fell into last week and yesterday and the day before, why is it that we continue as an individual to live a life without faith? And I'm, gonna, I'm going to posit today that it's because we live the creature that we are by nature out of fear of the unknown. Take Abraham, for example. Um, In the text this morning, he's going to be referred to as Abram, but his name would be changed to Abraham later on. He had this life where God made the promises to him, but these promises were hard for him to believe because of the situation that he was in. He was in a very adverse situation, especially because of his age. God said, Abram, I'm going to make you and your wife Sarah into a great nation. What was the problem? (laughs) They were 80 and 90 years old and still the, the... the promise hadn't come true. They hadn't had one child. They were barren. And Abraham said to himself, and I'm supposed to walk on this promise? And God said, I'm going to give you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. 
And Abraham had this uh, tremendous leap of faith outside of the wall, and he started to walk, and he left his homeland and his father and his father's family, and he started walking into a place. He didn't know where he was going, and he didn't know uh, where he was going to land. But he went, and he had great faith. And he had this roller coaster of faith that went up and down and up and down. There were times in his life when... um, after this promise that God had made him, that he would make him into a great nation and all nations would be blessed through him, that he went to Egypt during a famine. And out of fear, not faith, he he pawned his wife off on the Pharaoh trying to make a deal to save his own life. Fear. And then another time in his life, um, he he goes out and he rescues his nephew Lot, who got caught up in this political and, and this this uh, this battle, and was captured. And, and and Abram was the hero, and he rushed to his aid, and and he had to have been trusting God to rescue him among all these kings. And he and he did rescue his nephew. But then the next page, you turn in his story, you find out about him sleeping with his maidservant because he's doubting, out of fear, that God will not come through on his promises. And it's right after that time that he went out and he rescued his nephew Lot that the text in front of us says this. It, it's God coming to Abraham and Abram at this time, and he says this, verse 1 of Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and one, of, one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will have to be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to, Ab- to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Notice as you read through this, what is it that makes Abram righteous? What does he do that gets him right in front of God? It's a trick question, isn't it? He did absolutely nothing God makes a promise to him, and Abraham believes. Believes. And that's what makes him righteous. It's not staying on top of the faith roller coaster his whole life that makes him righteous. In fact, after this, he would go down, and he'd go up, and he'd go down and up on him. But he says it's it's believing the promise of God that makes him righteous in front of God. And I would even say that Abram was sounding kind of like a whiny 10-year-old as he talks to God, doesn't he? Like the 10-year-old who doesn't like the game that they're playing, and so he's going to take his toys and do it his own way. And he has to say to God twice, two times he says to God and reminds him like God doesn't have ears and doesn't know his situation that he's in. Hey, God, I'm going to go to plan B. I'm going to, I'm going to give my family life to, I'm going to give my inheritance. I'm going to put everything that you said. I'm going to give it to my servant, Eliezer of Damascus, and he's going to be my heir. Abram's making decisions is right here, not out of faith, but out of fear. He doesn't see past the three-foot wall. And that's exactly what fear is. It's a faithless response to adversity. A faithless response 
to the promises that God says to you, I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to look at the birds of the air. I take care of them. Look at the flowers of the field. I'm going to take care of them. And then we come back and we say, no, (laughs) that, that can't be true. He can't take care of me. That's faithless response created out of fear. But look at how God responds to fear, sin, and doubt. He comes back to Abram, and at the very beginning of the section, he says this. He says, do not be afraid. I am your shield, or another translation for the Hebrew there, your sovereign. Your very great reward. Another translation says it this way. You are going to be rewarded greatly because I am in your life. And then he does this. He takes him outside. And this is what grace does. God backs up his promises with beautiful pictures that preach grace, like we saw this morning in baptism. He gives him something tangible to hold on to that says, this is my promise to you, Abram. He takes him outside and he says, look up at the sky. And remember, this is thousands of years ago. No city lights. And if you've been in the middle of Texas without any lights around, you might have seen this before too. But he looks up in the sky and this this incredible scene of millions and millions of stars that he's looking up at is preaching the gospel to him. Because every star that he sees up there, God says this, you can't even count that many stars, but here's my promise to you, and this is what I want your faith to rest on, that I'm going to make you into this awesome nation with so many people that you can't even count them like you can't count the, cl- the stars in the sky. And Abraham, it says, believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. It was nothing what Abraham did, but it was everything that God promised that creates in Abram and creates in you and me faith. And that's exactly what faith is. Faith is a God-created promise in our life against adversity. And it's given to us even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, the Bible says, even when we were brought into this world, products of our sinful human parents, ourselves, and he brings us into his family. He had to do the work. He does the work, and he's the one that says, I'm giving you this this covenant, this promise, this down payment of my grace in your life, and that's something that can be never taken away. And that faith that Abram had, saying, okay, God, I don't see it, but I'm going to jump, I'm going to believe, is a spirit-created faith that you have too, and it changes your life. And like Jesus says, you are truly set free forever. And we're going to get into that in this last half of the sermon. Um, It's not in your text in front of you, but the story of Abram goes on in chapter 15. And I think it's the coolest part of the whole chapter. And so you can read it yourself. God tells Abram, go collect animals. In fact, he goes and he tells him to collect a goat, a heifer, a ram, all in the prime of their life, and a pigeon and a dove also in the prime of their life. Completely innocent animals. And he says, split them in half, all except the birds. And Abram does this. And just like there's an aisle right here down the center of our church, the Hebrew text makes it sound like Abram took one half of the animal and put it on one side and the other half of the animal. And you can imagine the blood just 
just just oozing down this aisle of, of, of flesh. And, and, and all these animals are cut up and put side by side except for the birds. And the birds are sacrificed, but they're just put and not split in half. And then, and then God puts Abraham into a deep, dark sleep. And as you read this, the commentators say this. They, they say, this is indicative of what a self-maledictory covenant used to be. In fact, this is the way that covenants used to be made between, say, kings or between two parties that were doing a land transaction or maybe a peace treaty, is that these animals would be split in half and the blood would be running through and each one of them would walk down the middle of that flesh aisle, I know it sounds gross, with their feet getting full of blood as a picture and a promise to one another that if one side broke the covenant, what would happen? That person, in the same way that these animals were split in half, that person would be split in half, would be taken. Their life would be, would be taken from them just like these animals. And these two people would walk down that, that, that flesh aisle and seal their treaty. Now here's the interesting part about what happens in Genesis 15. Instead of both of them walking down the aisle, we learn this. Abraham is sleeping the whole time and goes into this vision, and God speaks to him in the vision, and he says this, Abram, you doubt. And even after he said that this, he credited to him as righteousness, Abram comes back and he says, but how can I know that I have the land? And God does this whole self-maledictory setup, and then he puts him into this deep sleep, and he says, Abram, I will make you into a great nation. On my word. I will rescue that nation when they go into slavery. I will give you peace and rest when you die in eternal life on my word. You're not going to see it now, but I'm making a covenant with you. And when Abram wakes up, there's not two people walking down that aisle of flesh, Abram and God. It's God in a smoking pot, going up and down the aisle, sealing his promise to Abram, who's watching this whole time. And my friends, the beautiful truth about the rest of the Bible, as you go into it, is that God came through on each and every one of his promises to Abram. And did you know that God comes through on each and every one of his promises to you? Abram passed away at an old age, but when he passed away, he had faith in God that said, God, you are my righteousness, you are my rock, you are my shield, my sovereign, my very great reward, and I'm rewarded greatly because of you. And you know what? When he died, he died in peace. He went from life to life with God because of the faith that he had in that covenant. And did you know that God says to you, I am your shield, your very great reward, and that when you believe in me, that I'm your shield and your righteousness, that you don't go from life to death, but you go from life to life with me in heaven. Now here's here's the thing about it is that when you have that faith, it changes your life. You know it's in the future, but it changes your life today because now that you have faith, you're not living out of fear anymore. What are the things that we fear in this life? Sickness. We fear disease. We turn on the news and what do we fear? Going out in open spaces, riding our bikes down the street because of trucks hitting us and terrorism. Do you have to fear that anymore? Certainly. But do you have to fear it to the point of, of being 
um, uh, uh, suffocated with fear, knowing that God's not going to give you life after life. No, you can go out and you can live confidently saying this, that whatever happens to me, whether it's good or bad, past that three-foot wall, I'm okay because God says he's going to take me from life to life. And God credits that to you as righteousness. And you're saved and you have life eternal. And you can live at peace today. Abram went on after this and his nation, well, he had the son just like God promised. They were very old when God brought about a son finally. And then that son had sons and daughters and that nation grew to a mass and they became a huge nation with millions of people that have come from it. Just like the stars in the sky, God came through on his promises. But here's the thing is it wasn't that nation's power and why they became great. They were a very weak nation politically, economically, militarily. And every time that they went into battle, they didn't send the Green Berets at front. Do you know who they sent? They usually sent the guys with the robes, the theologically trained guys that said, it's the word of God, it's the promises of God that, that, that take you around the walls of Jericho and make them fall. It's the promises of God that made them into the nation that they were. You see that the whole nation's dependence was on God and that by righteousness, that they had from him and by his power, his shield, his very great reward, they became who they became. And did you know that in your life, when you say, I I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring and I can't understand why God's leading me down this path, that he brings you back to this truth that he's your shield and your very great reward because you're not strong enough and I'm not strong enough to take on everything that he asks me to be as a Christian man, woman, child, worker, student. But he says, Give it to me. I'm the same God that took Abram, that took this nation and made them great, and I'm the same God that takes your life, no matter what comes. And finally, God walked among Abram's children. As God, he made himself a child of Abram, so that he could save his children and he could bless, going back to a promise early on in Abraham's life, that he could bless all nations through him. He stood among his own people, Abraham's children and grandchildren, the Hebrew nation. And God said to them, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they had to remind God, when God said that, that that we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone, which wasn't true. They had been slaves of the Egyptian people. How can you say that we shall be set free? And God said to them, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, The Son is the one that makes you free. Then you're truly free. You and I have had a life created by God to have faith in Him, but we've gone off on these these ways that aren't faith-based. It's the doubting past the three-foot wall. It's the saying, God, you can't come through on your promises. God, I don't know why. But here's what Jesus says is that all the times that you've doubted, You needed rescue from a greater thing. And that rescue is a rescue from yourself. They killed God for saying this. 
that they needed to be set free. And they brought accusations against him, and they said, <laughs> they said that he wasn't a true child of Abraham, while all the time God himself was giving himself to them, to the point where he put himself into a self-maledictory covenant again. And he went to the cross alone. And he walked down that aisle by himself because we couldn't keep the covenant. And so he kept it on both sides for us and his side that he would never stop being our shield and very great reward so that when he died on the cross for you and for these people, that he could give them life and give them life to the full by forgiveness. That promise is true for you today to take away any fear that you have. And that promise of grace through the message of Scripture is received through faith, which is the message and the whole point of the Reformation. Martin Luther, the Reformer, he said this about his relationship with God. He says, I know not the way God leads me, but well do I know the guide. You know your guide well because he gave his life for you and that he never abandoned you and that he's your shield and that he, he's your very great reward. How could this man, this monk, stand in front of the emperor, Emperor Charles V, the most powerful man in the known world back then, in his world, and all of these princes and all of these uh, very influential pastors and stand up to them and say this and say, no, I'm not going to back down about the word of God. No, I'm not going to take a plea bargain agreement and, and, and shove all of these, these teachings of the Bible aside because, you, because everything was hinged on that covenant that God made with Martin Luther, that he would be his shield and his very great reward. And the same is true with you and me, is that when God comes into our life and he gives us that faith and he gives us the gift of eternal life and of peace, and of, we can't back down on our faith and we won't because of the promise that God has in your life and the promise that he gives to each and every person that has come to faith in him. So this Reformation, you have no fear because God's word says that you are forgiven. You have no fear because his grace says that the past, the present, and the future are covered in his blood. And you have the faith that says, I'm going to step outside of the walls and do some crazy things in my life, like be extremely generous. Generous with my time, but generous with my money because nothing bad can happen to me. You're going to be the mother who does crazy things because I know five out of the seven days of the week you get up extremely early to get the lunch boxes ready and get your kids to school, but you're going to take one more day, six out of seven days, to get your kids up early because you know out of faith that it's the right thing to do to get your children into Sunday school, into church, and into a Christian community out of faith that God's word will work and they too will have that gift that we're talking about this morning. Out of faith, you'll take one to two more hours a week that you say, my week is crazy busy with work and all of these other activities and and you're going to say, I'm going to sit down with other brothers and sisters in Christ in a Bible study because I trust that God says this is the most important thing that builds up my faith in him and gives me these treasures that we're talking about right now. Out of faith, the Father gives up the second half of the game that's so close to say prayers and read to his children. 
out of faith that God is working in his children's life as well. And finally, out of faith, when that day comes, when your health has been taken away from you, and that you have nothing left in this world except for God, your shield and your very great reward, you'll say, God is good. And he is. Your shield and your very great reward. Amen.